0: patterns of manhood. Tolstoy, of course, is famous for his great sprawling novels, War and Peace and Anna Karenina, in which you can encounter in all their their magisterial splendor, the the psychological acuity that lies at the heart of his artistry. But those are much longer works and, and do require a certain amount of commitment. So if you are looking for an entry point, so to speak, into Tolstoy's work, I would highly recommend his much shorter and and rather neglected novella entitled The Cossacks, where that same psychological acuity is on display in a rather more digestible form. The work recounts the story of an idealistic young man who goes off to fight in the Caucasus, and as such is clearly autobiographical in nature, since uh, as a young man, Tolstoy himself had uh, served time in the, uh, in the army, in the, in the Caucasus region. And both then and, and later in his life was was always a, a highly I- idealistic and morally earnest man. So we get in the Cossacks one of the most intimate self-portraits that any artist has, has provided to us as, as Tolstoy turns his own prodigious powers of psychological examination upon his own character. So that's part of what makes this work so interesting. But what really makes the work impressive is the uncanny precision with which he depicts the way we make ourselves dupes of our own idealism, the way we have a tendency to convince ourselves that we are much more virtuous than we truly are simply by mouthing and reciting the sorts of cliched sentiments we think denote our virtue. Now the prevalence of this type of character in our own day and age is too obvious to need emphasis. And so the work has this additional interest for us as well. The novella recounts an episode in the life of a young man named Olenin, a young wayward aristocrat who accepts a military post in, in the Caucasus and, and lives there among the, the rugged Cossack people out of a vague desire for for purpose or or direction the fickleness and and volatility of this this young man his his basic moral unreliability are signaled to the reader on the very eve of his departure right at the the opening in the opening scene of the novella when in a reverie over his his ben, his own benevolent aspirations he reveals the the self-love and self-regarding that are inextricably bound up with those sentiments. Tolstoy writes, Love for himself, love full of hope, warm, young love for all that was good in his own soul. And at that moment it seemed to him that there was nothing but good in it, It compelled him to weep and to mutter incoherent words. Olenin is keen to find some outlaying outlet for these humane instincts. But as Tolstoy says, only insofar as they did not limit his freedom, right? So there's the, the, the note of uh, of insincerity and self-regard in these, these apparently benevolent sentiments. Olenin is, uh, at, the, at the outside of the story, disappointed uh, and disenchanted over the uh, the, the end of a, a, of a youthful fling that he, he was having. And his, his departure for the caucuses is, is partly an attempt to, to flee away from the, the emotional and other sorts of con- consequences of this fling. Uh, and it instills in him a, a desire to, to start life anew from a, a new, more generous set of principles. He tells his friend, who's who's lying there, sort of half drunk on the uh, in the in the bar, as as he's preparing to leave. Olenin says, "I've made an awful mess of life, but anyhow, it's all over now, and I feel I am beginning a new life." To which his friend replies, "Which you will again make a mess of." And it, it's a it's a retort that sounds cynical, strikes our ears as as, as quite cynical, but in fact this friend has as the measure of Olenin. Intoxicated with his own sort of flighty and amorphous idealism, Olenin regards the Cossacks among, among whom he begins to live with this hopelessly romantic perspective, right? He sees them um, as... As Rousseau might have seen them, right? You, you get the sense he he he'd been he maybe had been reading a bit too much Rousseau on the uh, on the carriage ride uh, to his post, um, because he clearly sees them as as these kind of noble savages, right? These primal, uh, un, untainted this this untainted race of people uh, who who have these kind of primal and um, and wild virtues, right? Uh, who have not yet been corrupted by the corrupting influences of civilization, and his his youthful enthusiasm for them is is bound up with this, with, what turns out to be this this hopelessly romantic conception of their their character. The Cossacks, in turn, uh, are simply are are totally befuddled by Olenin, and, and frankly uh, contemptuous of him. Uh, they they just think he's he's hopelessly weird. And and can't understand the the kind of fascination he has for them, and into it a certain lack of respect. I should say, into it properly, a certain lack of, of respect uh, underneath uh, all that apparent enthusiasm for their their way of life. Nonetheless, o. Lenin is intent to make these these people the, the benefactors of his goodwill he has a moment that's something like a, a moment of conversion while he's out hunting in, in the woods about his post. He's, he's there in the middle of the forest. And as he looks at, about the serenity around him, he, he begins to, to meditate on the, on the newly framed purposes of his, of his new life. And, and clearly this is, is, is a passage that was a great deal to the, the romanticism of the, the 19th century as he's, he's there in nature and in, in the, the pristine, purity of nature and and feels his his spirit regenerated and recommitted to living out a a virtuous life so so tolstoy writes as as follows i must live in the very best way this is this is olennan thinking to himself how then must i live to be happy and why was i not happy before and he began to recall his former life and he felt disgusted with himself He appeared to himself to have been terribly exacting and selfish, though he now saw that all the while he really needed nothing for himself. Happiness is this, he said to himself. Happiness lies in living for others. What desires can always be satisfied despite external circumstances? What are the important things in life? Love, self-sacrifice. He was so glad and excited when he had discovered this, as it seemed to him, new truth, that he jumped and began impatiently seeking someone to sacrifice himself for, to do good to, and to love. Since one wants nothing for himself, he kept thinking, why not live for others? Now, it's important to to, to state at, at the outset here that the, the sentiments or the if we want to call them the principles, if they they deserve that name, that Olenin is is articulating here, are not to be scoffed at, are not to be derided. They are, and so so far as they are substantive in any way, real and genuine moral ideals. Self-sacrifice, a willingness to put the good of others before one's own good, these are true moral dicta in espousing them or in recognizing the excellence in these dicta olenin is not mistaken his mistake lies in thinking that the exercise of these principles that the application of these principles to life is an easy thing which he is readily capable of undertaking. He is mistaken not in the value he ascribes to these principles, but in his assumption that he already possesses the virtue to put those those principles in action in his own life. Well, the opportunity, and, and this will become apparent as, as the work progresses in, in, no, in no very long time, the opportunity for him to, to perform this feat of self-sacrifice occurs n- not much later in the, in the story as he's walking home one evening with one of the local youth named Lukashka, who is uh, the probably the, the best hunter and, and fighter among the, the Cossacks in that area. And Lukashka is desirous to marry a young woman named Marianka, who is the the village beauty, but he's impeded in this desire by his inability to uh, afford uh, a horse, which would serve as a, as a marriage gift. He's too he's too poor to, to to purchase this 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 horse, and and this is what's preventing him from from marrying Marianka, who otherwise seems uh, inclined. To, to to do so well olenin himself is captivated by Marianka and and uh is, is taken in by her beauty and it's it's sort of exotic character right he, he sees her beauty again in this kind of uh hopelessly romantic light where where it's it's a representation uh of of all that makes the cossacks interesting and fascinating to him so he sees this this chance to facilitate his rival's marriage to the same young woman as the appropriately benevolent act that his heart has been, has been searching for, right? If he puts Lukashka's desire to marry Marianka before himself, right? He will be carrying out the, 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 these new principles that he's come to, to, to fall in love with so, so ardently. So, so inspired by this this drive towards benevolence. And as, he, as Tolstoy puts it, so fond of everybody, and especially of Lukashka that night. He offers him one of his own horses. Right? He, he donates to Lukashka, one of his own horses, to, uh, to, to, to serve as this, this marriage gift. Though, as, as Tolstoy puts it, it's not the one he usually rode, but another. Not a bad horse, though no longer young. Right. So he, he doesn't give Lukashka his best horse. Right? He's not he's not quite feeling that benevolent. Right. And, and again, you can you can see the the shade of uh, of self self-love that's involved even in this um, apparently altruistic act. And, and again, this is is Tolstoy's brilliance here to see the way uh, and, and, to, and to draw with these these just very fine strokes, uh, these these very kind of subtle aspects of uh, of psychology here. So. Lukashka Lukasha takes the horse from Olenin. And, uh, he, he's stunned by the gift, and he's actually sort of suspicious that uh, that he that Olenin would would give him this horse since he he has no obligation to do so. And in fact, that that suspicion, as as we'll see, is is well warranted. Nonetheless, uh, Olenin departs delighted as a boy, as as Tolstoy puts it. Over, over this altruism that, that he's displayed. A little later on, he's, he's having a conversation with one of the other uh, soldiers named Bolitsky, who is a, a fairly rakish figure. And uh, Bolitsky's making sort of lurid comments about sleeping with the, the local Cossack women, Marianka included. Uh, and Olenin, uh, in a in a fit of, of apparent virtuous peak, responds and says, I know I am an exception. But my life has so shaped itself that I, that I not only see no necessity to renounce my rules, but I could not live here, let alone live as happily as I am doing now, were I to live as you do. Therefore, I look for something quite different from what you look for. And so Olenin has convinced himself That by performing this apparently selfless act for Lukashka and saying the right things about it afterwards, that he truly does possess that capacity for self-sacrifice, for renunciation, that he so desperately wants to believe he does possess. Well, it's all persiflage. His commitment to these ideals does not last the, the, the very first enticements he receives from, from Marianka at, at a, at a party uh, in the next scene after this conversation with Belin, Belinsky, he winds up um, through a, through a prank being locked away in a closet uh, with, with Marianka and um, his, his lust for her uh, instantly drives all notions of benevolence from his mind. And he is, uh instantly uh, overcome by uh, a desire a desire to have Marianka himself, all his uh, all his, all his charitable mottos, all those those sentimental cliches about the the importance of self-sacrifice and altruism go right out the window. He begins to think to himself, quote, "It's all nonsense what I've been thinking about love and self-sacrifice and Lukashka, happiness is the one thing he who is happy is right, flashed through Olenin's mind, and this is Tolstoy, right? Flashed through Olenin's mind, and with the strength unexpected to himself, he seized and kissed the beautiful Marianka on her temple and her cheek. So much for altruism. Far from abetting the marriage between Lukashka and Marianka, Olenin at, at this point now takes deliberate steps to rest her affections away from lukashka going so far as to propose to her himself an, an act of betrayal and 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 one of of hopeless impossibility since there's no possible chance of of a man of of his background and his class marrying a, a a woman of her background and her class um and yet he proposes uh to her in a way that that hardly pricks his conscience right though he's 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 clearly uh, betraying Lukashka, for one, and uh, deceiving Marianka. Again, as, as Tolstoy writes, he again felt himself inexpressibly vile compared to her, yet not repenting for an instant of what he said, of, of what he had said, he went home. and Without even glancing at the old men who were drinking in his room, lay down and fell asleep more soundly than he had done for a long time. So much for altruism. The impossibility of, of the prospective match with Marianka, given, given those discrepancies in, in status and culture, does does haunt Olennin later, a little later in the story. He, he, he says at one point, I, I cannot have this woman. All right, he 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 knows that. And yet still he's not dissuaded from pursuing her. He spends a, a great portion of the story floating between these two delusions the delusion of his own moral probity, and the delusion of a marriage to Marianka. His pretensions to virtue strike us, if not him, as ridiculous, as simply one more delusion under which he lives. When circumstances in the story finally bring about the inevitable foreclosure of his his relationship with Marianka. He he departs from the caucasus, ruining only the loss of the beautiful girl, but not the selfishness of his pursuit of her. So there is no moral growth that has occurred in Olenin. He leaves the caucuses every bit as self-centered and morally obtuse as he arrived. Again, it's important to remind ourselves that it is not the principles. Of self-sacrifice and self-denial per se that Tolstoy is is calling into question but the ready assumption so so typical of of young men that these are ideals for which we are by nature prepared to exercise rather than the fruit of, of long and Arduous spiritual preparation. We we can see the difference if if we turn to a play entitled The The Wild Duck by Henrik Ibsen, where the main character is a young man named Gregors, who very similarly to Olenin, has a, a distinctly idealistic streak, which winds up bringing ruin to all those around him in the play. But Ibsen inserts into his story a character named Dr. Relling, who serves as a kind of mouthpiece for for Ibsen himself to interpret Gregor's behavior in, in ways that it seems Ibsen is is privileging right well Relling is is a man who as he himself declares never had much faith in ideals right and when he provides his his diagnosis of of Gregor's Uh, moral disease. He says, yours is a complicated case to begin with. You've this tiresome rash of righteousness, right? It's this streak of righteousness per se that is problematic in Gregor's case, not a delusion about his own capacity for righteousness, but, but simply the impulse towards righteousness right the 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 play ends with with dr relling spitting in contempt of what he calls these damned creditors who keep pestering us with the demands of their ideals ideals which as he he tells us earlier in the story as are as closely related as typhus and putrid fever right so the the cynicism uh, of of Relling's viewpoint is is self evident, right? It's it's clear in in Ibsen's play that it's it's moral idealism as such, right? The very aspiration to act in ways that run contrary to the selfish ways of the world that is pernicious. But Tolstoy, I think, was a, a more astute moralist than I, than Ibsen, and he avoided running into that kind of cynicism what the story of a Lenin reveals instead is is how prone we are particularly during that that stage of life when we're, we're first acting in the world independently and under the influence of what we take to be a proper understanding of the world how prone we are at that stage to deceiving ourselves about our own moral limitations and to satisfying our impulses towards goodness simply by declaring ourselves to be good. It's not goodness which Tolstoy invites us to question or towards which he invites our, our skepticism, but our goodness, our own capacity for virtue. And this skepticism he inculcates I, I would I would say not in order to drive us towards despair, but to make us realize that the motivation to begin the taxing lifelong work which we must perform upon our own characters to genuinely realize virtue only begins in this this realization of our intrinsic moral limitations. In, in Olenin, we have the model of the young person who prefers to mouth cliches about self-sacrifice and renunciation rather than perform the sorts of actions that embody self-sacrifice and renunciation. And so comes to delude himself about the sterling nature of his character, which is actually, in, in the last word, quite squalid. We have a lot of Olenins walking around these days, and many of them would be well served to learn the lessons to be drawn from Olenin's story about the arduous nature of the pursuit of virtue, which Olenin himself never in fact comes to learn.